Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. I'm Janet. I'm Mel. I'm Anna. It's been a while since we had an episode on female sexuality. We know this topic can be a bit taboo in our culture and maybe among some of your friendship circles as well, but it's important to talk about or at least be knowledgeable about. Especially as Asian women, our relationship with our sexuality can be incredibly complicated and nuanced, involving not only the physical, but the emotional and mental. At times, it may feel disheartening that we cannot control society's dialogue about Asian women and sexuality, but we can start by controlling our own personal narratives with our sexuality. Anna Lee is the co-founder of Lioness, the women-led sexual health startup that built the world's first and only smart vibrator that gives biofeedback data to help people learn more about their own bodies and improve their understanding of sexual pleasure. She was named 2020's Forbes 30 Under 30, as well as Paper Magazine's Asian Women Creators You Need to Know. Prior to Lioness, Anna was a mechanical engineer at Amazon, launching the Amazon Dash Button's original concept and the Kindle Voyage Page Press technology. She is a big advocate in Lioness's mission to expand understanding and research in sexual health and destigmatize female sexuality. Welcome to the ABG podcast, Anna Lee. Yay. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. When we heard about your product and about you and the work that you do um, and the topic of sexuality particularly, we were so excited to get you on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. It's always fun to talk sex stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into the juicy stuff, we'd love to learn a little bit more about your background, Anna. Um, so you are Korean-American. Yes. And you grew up in a Korean immigrant, very conservative, very religious family. Yes. Can you share with our listeners what that was like? How would you describe your parents? And how would you describe Anna when she was younger? Oh, that's a good question. So I actually, I was born in California, but I moved to Korea when I was a baby. So mm. I lived there till I was six. And then we moved back to the U.S. And like my parents are very, I think your traditional Korean 
like parents that are like really about trying to give us better opportunities and moving to America and all of that, like sacrificing themselves so that um, they can give me and my brother better opportunities here. And so they, I grew up really strict in a very strict conservative family. They had really good ideals on what we were supposed to be when we grew up. Mm-hmm. And so I think I always had in my mindset of, you know, like I was going to be in STEM in some way or a doctor or a lawyer. And then I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And then, you know, kind of pay back, I think, the debt that a lot of us carry for our parents of like, this is how we're going to repay them and like Mm -hmm. how they grew up for us and sacrifice and all of that. So I think younger me, I think definitely had a lot of those, like, I want to say almost like stereotype Asian feelings of like wanting to work really hard, being Mm -hmm. in every club I could possibly be in. But like, I think the, the main thing is like, we never talked about sex. Like Mm -hmm. I think maybe once, once in my life she was like, Hey, if you like ever something happens. And I think she was probably talking about like, unplanned pregnancy and she was like you need to tell me no matter what happens and so but she didn't even like exactly describe what she was talking about she just was like if something happens to your body you need to like tell me right away so Mm. I think we definitely grew up in a very like hush hush environment and like definitely didn't know um going into like all of us I've just had really strict ideals that I was gonna be like a really good engineer and I was gonna work in a corporate America for the rest of my life so I think definitely that was like how my whole childhood kind of came up to like as in like my adult ideals yeah oh my gosh I actually resonate so much with when you were describing like join every club possible and work really hard and then the awkward conversation Mm -hmm. with your mom I actually which yeah like (laughs) they don't use their direct words it's more like a little bit of in the eye the way they look at you and then to your body you know you know what I'm talking about exactly (laughs) it's always awkward though I think my mom, we like, I think I shared this on an uh, old episode, but like I had a, like a, I was a very paranoid hi- uh, teenager. And so I thought I had a pregnancy scare. So I had to tell her about it. But before that, we didn't really talk about sex because yeah. it just feels like the word, the word sex, you just don't say that word yes. in an Asian household. And you're also, when you're watching sex scenes or like, you know, you watch a movie and that scene comes up, you're like, oh my God, my parents are here. This is so yeah. awkward. You're like, like every- gripping on your exactly. couch. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like everyone I think has that moment. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But Anna, you shared um, in other interviews that, you know, your work in female sexual health is, you know, rooted in a very personal experience. Do you mind sharing with the listeners that what that experience was and how that relates to your culture? Yeah, of course. So I, when I was growing up as a kid, I experienced sexual trauma. I think like, like I think it was for like a good like four years or something and I think that really like I think about this a lot now because now that I think I'm a little bit older and I like feel more like in a safe space and also like years of therapy definitely highly recommend for anyone is like I realized like that experience made me feel like I never owned my own body it was Mm. like I never felt like I could experience self-pleasure or like masturbation because I was like I don't deserve to like like enjoy pleasure because it means that like it goes back to this trauma it's like everything Mm. tied back into being like I'm not allowed to like enjoy pleasure and so I think even when it came to starting to like have sex with partners a lot of times I was so scared to like talk about what I liked or didn't like or didn't want to do or like just all of these different parts of I think um sex and I think it happens a lot for like a lot of I think especially women, we hear this a lot, especially in like a like a hetero relationship, is that like a lot of times you learn like sex in the lens of your the guy, like mm-hmm. what the guy wants to do, what the like what's pleasurable, what sex should feel like. So I think definitely for me, like I felt 
so uncomfortable with my own body and I I tell this story all the time because I think it's so important that like I didn't grow up being like I'm so open about sex I want to talk about sex with everybody like when we first started this company I was like I am not do I was like I'm just gonna be the really good engineer behind the product Mm -hmm. I was like I am never gonna do the interviews like I was scared to say the word clitoris or Mm -hmm. orgasms like that was so scary to me and so like I always say like this has been my own like six seven year journey of like understanding my own body and like just learning to feel comfortable and like confident in the idea of like this is just how my body works this is stuff I like and don't like so I think definitely for me the trauma I think uh in a weird way it was like for me like a way to confront it like really Mm -hmm. face forward of just being like well I'm going to take ownership of like how I want to talk about it, how I want to feel comfortable with it. So uh, it's been really cool to see like my own journey through it um, and like all of that. So yeah, I think it it definitely tied into ending up like, because I never also wanted to be an entrepreneur, like it was never in my like thing to be like, oh yeah, I want to start my own company. So it was kind of the perfect storm of all the perfect things that I really felt passionate about that mm-hmm. ended up ending me up here. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, I love that that story of what you do now connects to like past experiences that you had that at one point were maybe challenging to confront. Yeah. And and you stated that kind of, it, you feel like in the last six or seven years, you've really changed your relationship with that occurrence kind of through your work with Lioness. Yeah. But how did you, like, how did you first go about confronting and healing mm. um, that experience? You know, honestly, like I can't emphasize this enough of like, if people have the access and like ability to like therapy is such a such an important part of like because I think for me it was one of those things like I went into like a really deep depression in college because I was for me like I moved to going to college thinking that like I could run away from the problem right Mm. and then I think you get into this realization like for me like I, I was in college one day and being like oh my god this stuff sticks with you for the rest of like it just Mm. it's not physical distance of like somewhere but it's like that it's like you know it's like hurt you internally so I think a lot of it for me was like I went into deep depression but again like I think especially in Asian culture like I didn't even know the term depression or how common it was and so I was like what is wrong with me? Why do I feel like this? And I remember like, it was really only when I was about to like drop out of college, one of my professors was like, you didn't show up to your final. Like, are you okay? Like, are you good? And so I like had a whole like thing and he was like, hey, have you ever thought you might have like depression? He's like, you should talk to a therapist. So he really was like the person that made me even realize it was a thing. And I I have to laugh about it now because I'm super open about like, you know, like going through depression and like going to therapy. And then my whole family at some point has been like, oh, yeah, I've experienced depression. And I was like, why didn't anybody say anything? Like, like there's someone. Yeah. Like if we all talked about it, we would all been like, oh, maybe it runs in the family, like something. And I was like, that is so crazy. So I think it's definitely one of those like um, one, I think just talking about it and then, yeah, going to therapy is like super like I think life-saving in a lot of ways Mm. um and then yeah I think just overall like the things you do to like be good to yourself and self-care and all of that so accumulation of everything (laughs) yeah thank you for sharing that I think that's I mean we definitely talk about therapy a lot Mm. on this podcast and it's wonderful to hear your story that 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 was like a personal experience um, that relates to the greater, you know, of your professional success. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I could, and I totally understand what you're saying that like, I'm happy you you were able to work through your depression and actively still, you know, 
take care of yourself. I, yeah, when I talk to my mom about it, like, I think talking to your family, and once you unlock that door, you're like, oh, this is actually kind of common, like, but no yeah. one wants to talk about it because it's so hush-hush. Yes. It's like, mental health is like sex. You don't talk about it yeah. because it's a shameful thing, yes. right? But I love that you shared when you got into your current role as an entrepreneur doing Lioness, is like, you had to confront your, like, relationship with your body and sexuality. And you also shared earlier that, you know, you come from a very conservative family and you kind of, and you started off as, you know, a me- mechanical engineer and product designer. Can you walk us through, like, how did you decide on that major and how did you even end up working in sexual health? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I always liked tinkering and like building things and not that I like, this is my villain story, but it's in high school. I did an internship, um, at an aerospace company and it was quote unquote, like a mechanical engineering internship. But I, as a high schooler, what do you, I don't know if you're like really, I don't know, building anything. Yeah. And so, um, I, when I was at that internship, I remember like I was one of the only women like interns like in the technical space and I remember like the guy interns in high they were in high school too like they were building like this like prot like rocket thing and I was like that is so cool and for some reason I was doing like paperwork and like scanning things and like filing things and making a filing whatever inventory thing and I couldn't help but feel like there's something wrong like there's something that feels wrong and then I think there was like a point where like one of the upper managers were like calling me like sweetie and I was like I don't know what it is, but it feels wrong. And so in terms of like a villain story, I really like almost in spite was like, I'm going to become the best engineer. Like Mm. I'm going to be the smartest. Like I'm going to take over this company. Like I just had all these like, I don't know, teenage angst of being like, I'm going to prove them wrong. Mm. So I think from that, I was like, I'm going to become an engineer. And I already liked like engineering stuff. So I got into college that faded away because I think that driving yourself through anger like that way is Mm. never helpful. Like as a growing experience but um so I was a materials science engineering and then I realized I hated it and then I took a machine shop class and I was like I really want to learn how to skateboard so I was like I want to build a skateboard and I was like that's gonna be the best way to learn how to skateboard and so I like built a skateboard in machine shop class and I just remember having this feeling of like this is so cool to be able to think of something and then design it and then build it and then like have something physical and so I think from there I knew that I wanted to do more consumer hardware stuff um so then I was at Amazon and then um I really felt like I was like I achieved exactly what I was supposed to do like I was in this like big company doing engineering like all these really cool things and like my team was amazing but again it was a feeling of I was like the only woman engineer my team of like 16 engineering people Mm. and I remember again just feeling like they're awesome but you just can never shake off the feeling like you're never an engineer you're like a women engineer first like it Mm. always felt like there was a little bit something um, and then just luckily, I think there was like, after a couple years there, I met a founder of a different sex toy company that doesn't exist anymore. So I love telling this story because I think it's, it doesn't, I, I'm not slandering anyone, yeah. but, um, it was a guy and I was like, how do you know what you're building works for people with vaginas? And he was like, there is an industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose and that's what a clitoris feels like. And I remember just being oh my like, gosh. yeah, <laughs> like I was like, what? And then like sure enough if you go to sex toy conventions now like it's a really common thing to for people to be like oh put the vibration on your nose or the skin between your thumb and pointer finger and Mm. they're like that skin's so sensitive it's just like your clitoris like it's a really common thing and I was like 
I can't believe he like something so intimate for a lot of people and really personal is yeah. built in this way. And so I was just remember being like, oh man, I feel like I could design. I, I was like, I feel like I could engineer such better vibrators. Like it's things I already do. Like I know how to do manufacturing. I know how to do mechanical design. And so I ended up meeting my two co-founders who were working on a smart vibrator at the time, who are my two co-founders that I met um, through my roommate. And then I was like, hey, I just want to help. I was like, I'm not asking for like, partnership equity like foundership like I was like I just wanted I was like this sounds like a really cool side project um and then what I thought was a side project I mean clearly I Mm -hmm. like quit my job and now I've become a full-time founder for the past six years so uh yeah life's kind of funny that way (laughs) I mean okay I love that the the thing you thought was like I could do this better you could see there's a there's a glimpse of that in a lot of your your past too in your internship like what did you call me? I'm going to show you. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of that. I will say I'm very, like, driven by, like, uh, I feel like I could do this yeah. kind of thing. And I don't know if that's, like, I don't know if it's good advice for people to follow, like, when you're, like, mad about something. But um, definitely passions carried, I would say. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The passion and the craftsmanship. Oh, my God. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely see how then, you you know, you met your two co-founders and then you started, you know, working on this product. How did you tell your parents what mm. you do? Or do they understand what you do? Or how did you explain it? Or is it a lie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, let's see. So I, I didn't tell them for the first year when I quit my job. Mm. I just told them that I was like, hey, I'm thinking about working on this project. Like, I'm not sure where it's going to go, but I'm fine. Is The first mm. thing I was like, I'm fine. I'm like, I saved money from that job. Like, I'm okay. And then that's all I left it at. And I think, because she lives in LA and I live in San Francisco, and she was like, hey, I'm not hearing from you very often. Is everything okay? And then I remember just being like, she was like, I'm going to come visit. And then... your mom, right? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, like, okay. And then I was, in my head, I was like, this is probably the time that I have to tell her, like, what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. And so she came to visit, and we were like, just start like we were like a year in like we had a shared space with like three people in a tiny desk in a shared like office of like 50 other companies we had like all these vibrators on the table like it looked wild (laughs) and so um she came and I was like okay so let me just explain what I do like we're making a smart vibrator I don't know if she knows to this day what a smart vibrator technically is and I will say I actually taken Korean classes before and I've like worked directly on like how do I talk about this in Korean because I don't know like mm. the words for like clitoris or orgasm yeah. or biofeedback like those are all like way beyond my skill sets and then um, she was really quiet and she knew about the trauma that happened when I was mm. younger too but like that was again one of those things we completely swept under the rug like mm. as it happened we were just very like okay let's just move on with our lives and so it was the first time she was really quiet and then she was like you know, when I was younger, like, I used to own a vibrator. What? (laughs) Wow. And I remember looking at her and being like, oh. And she was like, yeah. And she was like, she started describing it. And I, like, in my head, I knew exactly what she was talking about. Oh, you're like, mom, I know this exact product, like, the brand Uh, because of my research. (laughs) And I was, like, really quiet. And then we just started talking, like, the next two hours. Like, we were, like, walking around. I so remember this vividly. Like, we were walking around UC Berkeley's campus just talking about, like, sex. She was giving me sex advice. I was giving her sex advice. With your mom? Yes. And we were, like, Tom, and she was asking me, like, when did you lose your virginity? Who was it to? Where was it at? Like, we just talked everything. Like, I've never done it again, but 
it was the most like beautiful disgusting things I've ever done like so beautiful in that like I could not believe I just had that conversation with my mom and I was like so grateful that's how she responded but also it's you know at the end of the day it's still your mom and the fact that like I gave her sex advice sometimes I'm like did she use it (laughs) I know I'm like sometimes I'm like oh my god like I know too much and so <laughs> so yeah so she like you know was like you know as long as you're doing something that's you makes you happy and I think the most important thing she told me was like it, again it was said so like generalized but I think what we're just talking about she was like I always wondered if you're okay after all of that happened mm. and she was like it's nice to know that it sounds like you're okay and I was like I was like, yeah, I was like, honestly, like, I just feel like I'm in a really good place. I feel really happy. And so she felt really, I think, relieved that we were weirdly able to have that conversation, just being like, hey, you're okay. Like, I'm okay kind of thing. Um, So yeah, so she knows what I do for a living now. I mean, she's still, you know, she's still my career mom. So she's like, when are you going to get a real job? Mm. And she's like, don't ever do interviews. Like, don't ever be a public facing. So she doesn't really know about my like... (laughs) TikTok the extent or, of what you're yeah, yeah like yeah. that i'm sharing my orgasm data with the world or anything <laughs> like that like when we first finished our production of our first line of season it took us three years to develop um i was in china and i i grabbed the first box that came off the line and i flew straight to la and i like gave it to her and i was like i was like i don't care if you use it but i just want you to know like this is what i've been working on for three years like it's very important to me and so she still has it i don't know if she's used it. i don't know if it's out of the packaging or anything like that but it was like very special to me to be like being able to give her a vibrator because like who who does, who does that? that yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that is that is such an amazing conversation to be able to have with your mom. And yeah, on so many levels. Not only because there's like this levels of taboo, levels of like your personal experiences, um, the healing of her as like as your mother knowing mm. that you're okay. Yeah. Um, oh my god. But that with was... that said, like I remember after she left, I like called my brother and I are really close. I like called him immediately, and he's like, I was like, because he's known what I've done for like you know since the get go, and I was like oh my god I need to tell you and he was like if you tell me anything about mom's life like uh, he was like he was like don't tell me he's like he's like carry that to the grave and I was like damn so like I just know so much in my own oh no (laughs) (laughs) cannot delete yeah like I can't pass it anywhere someone's like oh Oh, my god (laughs) is it so you know it's so weird I, I have this thought sometimes I'm just like this is maybe weird but like it's very normal like every like we know our parents like have sex because we were here. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, or like we know people. You know, they usually do it. So I don't know why, but as their child, I'm just like I don't want to think about it or know, or like I just don't want to believe that they do that. Yeah, you know? I don't know. <laughs> like old, like I think the older people are like high, highly sexual people. We yeah. just don't give mm-hmm. them the credit for it. But again, oh. yes, I think it's the idea of like your parents doing it, and then you're like, oh my god. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> I'm so shocked that you guys had like the detailed conversation because yeah. like I'm actually really close to my mom, mm-hmm. but that's like no, we're not we're not. Yeah, talking. hell the f no. Sorry, mom, no. Oh, <laughs> she's like now like maybe yeah. Oh god, she's gonna be next on this podcast. Being yeah. like you do the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Skillshare is a sponsor of today's episode. I've been in the social media space for about 10 years now, and one thing I learned is that I have to keep sharpening my skills. 
In this landscape, the rules and content is constantly changing, so I need to be on my toes at all times. A leader in this space that I like to reference from time to time is Gary Vaynerchuk. One class I'm excited to take is his Context is Key, Social Media Strategy in a Noisy Online World. In the world of social, he explains how we need to do a better job understanding our context so we can storytell in an effective way. He then breaks down each platform and their functions. Because one thing I definitely learned is that each platform has its own tools and has to be used differently. One big draw to his class is the use of case studies. This is so important to show real life samples of how we can utilize social media in a smart way. I'm excited to continue to hone in and grow my social media skills with Skillshare. Besides social media, they have classes on a variety of topics such as film and video, creative writing, graphic design, freelance and entrepreneurship, just to name a few. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com ABG, where our listeners can get one month free trial of premium membership. Again, that's one month free of premium membership at Skillshare.com ABG. The holidays are just around the corner, and if you're anything like me, I hate scrambling last minute to buy gifts. That's why Luna's Weighted Blanket is the perfect solution. It's a one-stop shop for everyone on your list. Your mother-in-law who can't fall asleep, your best friend who feels anxious at night, and even your nephew who refuses to go down at nap time. Luna Blankets are Ocotex 100 certified, meaning naturally dyed and free of harmful chemicals. The weighted duvet style is versatile and can be used alone or layered on the bed. Its pressure quiets your thoughts to provide the deep sleep your body craves. New York Magazine called it the best weighted blanket to gift. So hurry over to lunablanket.com and take 10% off with coupon code ABG. That's lunablanket.com, take 10% off with coupon code ABG. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Well, thank you for sharing um, that story, Anna, and sharing with us the background of, of you and your company. Now we've got some juicier questions. Yes, so excited. <laughs> so we actually have your product with us here, Lioness, mm. and I see the packaging and I see like, you know, the big aspect of this is that you guys are collecting biofeedback data and that's what makes it unique. So kind of like how there's, you know, a lot of people wearing their Fitbits and their, their Apple watches and everyone wants to track their sleep and their exercise. Like why not track your orgasms and, yes. your, and your sexual activity and to be better knowledgeable about that? With this, you, your company has been around for a couple of years now and you all have gathered the largest data set of female physiology during arousal and orgasm. We're wondering if you can share with us what the top three most like surprising things you've learned are. Ooh, okay. Top three. I'll, I have two. Actually, okay. I have three now. Okay. So I think the first one is, um, so for us, like because there's such lack of research in female sexual function, it's a super limited research. So I think the question is always like, 
like, am I normal? Like all of Mm. these things. Right. And there's so much, um, like there's so many things that changes your pleasure and orgasm that sometimes you don't even think about. And it's connected to your overall well-being. So I think some of the coolest things we've learned is the first one is that, uh, currently we kind of categorize orgasms. There's a unique pattern with your pelvic floor movement that happens. So how your vaginal muscles or your anal muscles squeeze and relax involuntarily is like your best indicator for an orgasm. And there's a really unique pattern that happens when, when you have an orgasm. So if you see it on the graph on your app, like you'll see like, you know, all these spikes. And then during the orgasm, there's a unique pattern that happens that looks really different from the rest of your data. So one of the cool things we've learned is like we segmented into three different types so far and we're hoping like there's a lot more. It's just we don't know currently. And it's based on a research study back in the 80s. And now we're like proving it with our Linus data is that uh, we call it the ocean wave type, the avalanche type and the volcano type. So the way you have an orgasm, um, so the ocean wave is a rhythmic pelvic floor movement so your vaginal walls are squeezing relaxing and the pressure is gonna the force is really similar so it's kind of like an up down up down movement that's usually the most common one we've seen i'm also an ocean wave uh my other co-founder is an ocean wave it's really funny our team we share data all the time with each other that i feel like i could look at someone and be like i know who that is oh (laughs) um and then there's the avalanche which is it's similar to the ocean wave where you're seeing a squeeze relax squeeze relax but it starts at a higher force and then it goes down in force over time so like a little avalanche slope and then volcano types are like your classic movie-esque like Mm. how they describe it in movies as like a huge explosion of force and then like a really steep drop down in force so there's not as much of like a rhythmic pelvic floor movement that's going um and this was really important for us because i think the question of like am i normal or like am i having an orgasm because the way my friend described it is very different than what i'm feeling Mm. and i've had that experience in college where i remember being like i think i'm not doing it right and i Think about it now, and I'm pretty sure that person that described it was a volcano type, and because I'm an ocean wave, I was like, dang, mine's like not like a short burst, it's like a longer kind of feeling of like mm. a really like flowy feeling, and now I'm like, I think we were just totally different types, yeah. and so we always like pushing that one because we're like, everybody's different, like you just need to figure out like what's yours, and then... Um, the second one that I love telling people is we have an athlete that's a longtime Linus user. And so she's a volcano type. And she came back to us one day and she was like, I think my Linus is broken. She's like, my data looks really weird. And so we started like diagnosing like all of the hardware, or, like everything. And we we're like, we can't find anything. But what happened on this date? Because that's when your data started to flatline. And she was like, oh, she's like, I had a, a sports injury. She's like, I had a concussion. And then we we're all like, I think Ooh. the concussion might have done something. And so... That was a really cool moment. It's one of those things that's like, you would have never known. Like, if you have a concussion, you're not even thinking about a lot of times, like, oh, like how your sexual pleasure has changed or any of that. And it could be like added stress to your life, like whatever. And for us to kind of see that proof of like her having the concussion, her data flatlining, and then as she got physical therapy and she's like, I'm gonna take a pause for my sport. Um, and she started doing physical therapy. And over the months, you saw her data come back. So we were like, there's something so interesting here. And so my co-founder actually got to present it at a medical conference of just Mm -hmm. being like, hey, like these are the things we don't ever get to study. And then we leave people with vaginas and women with more questions because they're like, something's wrong with me. And then no one has data or information about why that might be happening. Um, And then the third one I think is, I think a lot of people and including myself is like, 
is this normal? Like, what's the average time for people to be masturbating? Or like, how often? Or how old? Or, you know, like, that's a really common question because people just want to know what range of the world they're in. And I think the most interesting thing we've ever seen with our data or like, you know, people opting in to let us see their data is like, it's such a wide skew. Like, it's really hard to ever be like, one hour or like two minutes like everyone is so different and so I always like you know because people are always like everybody is unique and then you're just like okay thank mm-hmm. you for that like doesn't help me that <laughs> like powerful talk and so um but for us it's literally like hey here's the data skew like it seriously does look so widespread of like different ages different times different lengths of orgasms mm-hmm. whether you have one or you don't have one like it's so wide and mm-hmm. so it's really cool to kind of tell people like truly bodies are really really different and you just kind of have to just know what works for you and like what doesn't work and you can't really compare that to other people yeah Yeah. well i love already that you are able to create three patterns of orgasm Mm. so as women it's like a curiosity to to, to understand am i what were the three again it's the ocean wave avalanche and volcano Uh, let's be real. Me and you are both like, which one are we? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Too. I was like, huh. Yo, every time I tell, tell this, you see everyone's eyes kind of go up because I can <laughs> yeah. tell people are like, I wonder what mine is, and they like. It's yeah. really yeah, fun to yeah. see people um, kind of start like thinking about their orgasms in that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you share those three different types because I'm definitely someone that like I talk to my friends about. I'm pretty open with about sex with my friends and like. I have friends who are like definitely more like sexually active than I am, mm-hmm. and they orgasm so much. E- like mm-hmm. it's just so easy for them. Mm-hmm. And so I'm over here like on all the Cosmo articles and Google and be like, and just pulling my research data from my friends. It's harder for women to orgasm during sex, you know, based on your research. I don't know if you could find it with yours, but do you know why? And a second follow up is I feel like it's easier for women to be solo and and masturbate and have an orgasm versus with a partner. Mm. So I'm like wondering why. That's a great question. So I think the biggest emphasis is that there's this thing called the orgasm gap. Um, it's it's clear and it's been multiple studies around this. I would say like maybe the most common one that's cited is that heterosexual men, when they have sex, they 95% of the men report that they orgasm versus heterosexual women uh, it's 65% of women say they orgasm during sex. So mm. you're, the, the orgasm gap is like, mm. what is that? Is it a physiological thing? Or women just have a harder time orgasming? Like, I think the big question becomes like, why? But then when you start looking at like the little nuanced studies of like people that own sex toys, like have a hot, easier time orgasming mm. or people in like lesbian relationships or bisexual relationships also have a higher rate of orgasm. So then it becomes a question of like, okay, like, what is it? And I think, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours, but I think it really boils down one to the patriarchy and Mm. (laughs) like just the cultural and societal historical stigma around women's sexual pleasure, like sexual pleasure for people with vaginas. It's always been really encompassed around like men's pleasure. Like how do we please men? And like, it's really ingrained so deeply in our society that like I, as, as a proof point of like, even to this day, The fact that like erectile dysfunction um, ads can be public on Instagram, on, you know, the the New York subway, like all of that. But when it's a women's sex toy or a sex toy for people with vaginas, that's not allowed. And so it becomes a question of like, why, why is that still such a stigma in our society? So I think that's one is like, definitely there's like continuing stigma of like, we're not really taught to focus on our own pleasure and I think even I would say commonly what the question the the comment that I get all the time is like oh but I'm in a relationship so I don't need a sex toy and I'm always like 
yeah, but they're not competitors, they're collaborators. And so I'm like, I think there's still this like common thing of like, I don't need to be masturbating if I have a person. And so that's one, um, the insane lack of research in this field. Like I, I always like, I even used to go to my OBGYN being like, Hey, this is happening when I have sex. Like, is this normal? And then they're like, Oh, you know, like anything could happen. And like, if you have an IUD, like your hormones could, you know, like you don't really get answers. And it's also just, there's not enough resources of learning about your body being able to ask questions, being there's research around it. Like it's so limited. Like we have terrible sex education for the most part. So let me think. So the society, like the patriarchy, the research, and then also just like female anatomy is a really, like I think only in the recent years, I've really heard this thing of like people really being like focused on the clitoris. It's the only body part in the, in, in our entire system that is, fo- is main function is for pleasure. It's the only function is for pleasure. And like, it's really special, but no one really talks about it of like what the full structure looks like. Cause part, like most of it's actually internal. Like the clitoris that you're seeing is the clitoris glands. It's like the tip of the iceberg. Like that's stuff that we don't ever learn. And I'm only seeing because social media, like these amazing sex educators are coming out like really harping on it. So I think there's just so much lack of information. So I don't think that it's like, harder for women to have orgasms i think it's just that we've been built in a society a lot of times that didn't set us up for success Mm. a lot of times actually what you said made me think about kind of comparing it to like exercise or anything right like if guys are just it's more widely acceptable that they should be doing it the more you do something the more you i mean maybe exercise but anything like you're going to be more familiar with your body your body's going to know the signals and how things happen but for women if we're just we don't even know if we should be doing it and then you feel like it's like taboo to be doing it yeah you're not doing it enough to know like to to understand and to develop like that muscle definitely like the muscle memory and it's the same I think your to your point is like when I masturbate I can orgasm so much easier than with a partner is because you probably know your body a lot better like you know what exactly feels good and what you want and like when you try to communicate that it's not always super easy like especially if it's like say a first time relation like you know if it's a hookup like whatever like maybe it's like harder to be like hey you're not doing a good job (laughs) (laughs) Um, or whatever that communication Mm -hmm. is and the constant I don't know like I'm like a people pleaser in a lot of ways and then I'm like and then like oh am I hurting that person's feeling like that's like a Mm. lot of things that you really have to work internally to like break that yeah thing out of you I think I can relate to that (laughs) and for women who also have difficulty just masturbating or just orgasming in general like how can lioness help Mm. with that yeah so um for us I think like, I will say for me, especially, like, sometimes the hypersexual kind of things never perfectly resonated with me. Because I still, like, when I was, like, starting, I was like, oh, like, it's kind of scary to be in this, like, super sexy world. Because I don't really see myself as, like, super sexy. Like, I'm a, you know, like, I don't like lingerie really. Lingerie. Yeah. Music. Or, like, yeah, yeah. Or, that, like, like scares me a yeah. lot. Yeah. Or people think you're, like, a swinger or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, like, that's all, like, totally fine stuff. But for me, like, I was like, oh, the fact that, like, Linus really takes away a lot of that and just being like, oh, it's, like, data about yourself. Like, I'm learning about what's working for me, what's not. And then you get kind of, like, I started really having fun of pe- showing people, like, the graphs and being like, hey, like, when I had two cups of coffee, my orgasms were so much better. Like, that's something oh, I would have never known. That's a tip right Is there. He? Drink some coffee before yeah, you Yeah, <laughs> coffee. Um, if, like, if you're in a state that's legal and you can purchase it, like, THC lubricants oh. is really, really fascinating to me. I always am, like, if you're into it, like, totally try it. But 
but um yeah there's like different things and you start becoming so curious about your own body it just naturally you start being like hey this is like what my orgasm looked like or like dude my orgasm was like one minute long like that's never happened before so I think like there's a comfort level that happens with Linus where you're kind of just learning about your body and then you could tell it to your partners and like screenshot that data like all these really cool things but even aside that like even if you like penetrative toys are not you know like not everyone feels comfortable with it so I always say like even if you're on a baseline of like I don't feel comfortable with my own body like I think it's like turns into like just thinking about like what stuff makes you feel good like what turns you on like what makes you aroused and then also like taking time to look at your whole vulva like structure in the mirror and just knowing about your body and like all of those experiences like aside from the toys like I think it is really just about like embracing your own body and like Mm -hmm. understanding how it works and I think sexual pleasure is a huge part of it that we never really give the time and day um because I'm always like okay like so you masturbated like when's the last time you thought about that masturbation process and like what was good about it what did you what didn't you like about it? like no one does that like yeah. even I'm like you masturbate then you're like I'm out of here kind of thing. So, <laughs> I'm going on with my day so I'm definitely like Linus helps you kind of take that pause to like really mindfully think about like mm-hmm. what's working and what's not <laughs> yeah, no, that those are that is a very, very um, good description of, of why someone should consider kind of looking into sex toys. Because I will have to say, I am someone who is like kind of like more efficiency based. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, and natural, minimal, I think I'll just use like my hand. Yeah. But, um, you know, committing to product and committing to like looking at the data really helps you deepen your relationship with understanding uh, yeah, about that. So, yeah, it's yeah. just another element. Um, and then I think the sex toy world's like changed a lot. Like, cause I used mm-hmm. to be like, if you go into a sex toy shop and it's like pink and purple butterflies and yeah. glitter, and then there's like adult entertainers on the packaging, you're like, yeah, yeah. am I supposed to be in here? And there's like a lot of fear around that. But I think it's changed so much that I'm always like, dude, there's really cool things out there for everyone now. So I'm like really excited to like, yeah, like just push like the idea of like, yeah, you should just feel curious about what different things are out there. Yeah. But hands are cool. It's really manual. <laughs> yeah. like, like it, you know, gets the job done. It's like always with you. It's kind of yeah. like, a, like a sure proof way. So yeah, I don't knock that either. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about like orgasms now and kind of the biology of things. Um, but what about sex drive? So I know you kind of talked about this before where your data shows it's kind of all over the place, mm-hmm. but I think for a lot of us who maybe didn't talk about it with our families or even with our friends, we see, I mean, the media and porn is kind of what is what is informing us, right? And it's always shown that um, women and men, that sex drives are like, what norm, what is normal is like that you have a super high sex drive and that sex is always like super very sensual and that you're super, you know, it's like happening constantly, frequently and mm-hmm. super hot. Um, what are maybe some examples if you found that there isn't necessarily an average, but like maybe a range of like, Mm. what is a normal sex drive? Man. So, um, unfortunately my answer is really like, there's no, I think there's really no normal of like what a normal sex drive is. And actually there's a book that I would highly suggest, like if, you know, like for listeners who are, are like, Oh, like, you know what that is, or like, why is my, like, why am I not as like turned on like all these different things is uh come as you are by emily nagoski she's uh, she does an amazing job of explaining like the the concept of sex drive is actually just like re- doesn't even exist either it's a really like made up thing of like again like the patriarchy of like oh yeah you're supposed to be like hypersexual all the time like super turned on like it's all kind of like a gas pedal of like where you kind of are like where you're kind of feeling sometimes you put brakes on things when things are like inhibiting like different feelings or like you know stress like all these different things so really it's kind of a wide range I would say like 
it's really just about like where you are kind of in your like journey like what might be kind of help what might be putting like little bumps on the way to like not let you kind of get to that point or all these different things but it's less of a like oh I have a super high sex drive or I have a really low sex drive it's more just like a kind of a more flowing moving thing of like different things might be adding to the factors that we don't really also talk about um especially like um antidepressants is like a really common one and I think like it doesn't get talked about enough that it could inhibit a lot of like your desire or drive or whatever you want to call it because they're like you know like it's helping you with other things but like um there's not one there's not a lot of research on it and so it's like kind of like but a lot of people will say like damn that's like something that I really go through when I'm on depressed antidepressants Mm. so I think that's like stuff that we don't really get to really talk about enough yeah interesting well speaking on like you know um how there well there is no normal for a sex drive and you also talked about antidepressants and I feel like we've been in the pandemic now for about two years and I think people have been you know dealing with their own mental health issues like based on your research how has the pandemic affected people's sexual people's sexuality or, yeah. sex, or sex drive? Yes, I love this question because I, <laughs> um, throughout my like couple of things I've done, like I always talk about the media. I have a very love hate relationship because I love that there's like a lot of good information, but there's also a lot of terrible information, and that I think it's made to feel alienating of a lot of like what we're experiencing. Um, I will say like especially when I was a teenager, when like the you know, like the early 2090s of like the Cosmo magazine, 17 mm-hmm. magazines, and they were like, how to please your man or like, oh, how do you keep hit your G spot? Like just like all these things that just adds to all the stresses you have. So one of the things I think media really took wind of was when it first happened, it was this narrative of like, everybody's having sex. Everyone's having pandemic oh. babies. Everyone's relationships are doing so well. Like everyone's doing it. Everyone's buying sex toys. Which is, I mean, for business, it's, like, good, like, of, like, oh, like, everyone's buying sex toys is really cool. But I think the thing is, like, a lot of us were, like, is that really true? What's the data around that? Like, are really people feeling like that? Because then now it's making people that aren't feeling like that, like, oh, my God, like, maybe I'm in a terrible relationship. What's wrong with me? Like, Mm -hmm. all of these things. Um, So we actually collaborated with um, the Center for Genital Health and a couple of the researchers there. And then we created a research platform where our users could actually opt in. And that was the only, so we don't share data like any of that. We're not in the business of that. Um, But we do give your users chances to be a part of studies to like be like participating in like getting more information out there. So one of the big things we want to do is like, we want to see like what the usage look like or masturbating frequency during the pandemic versus the year before. And so we had a bunch of like amazing users who opted into the research platform. And that's the only time we connect that data to the researchers. And so one of the biggest things we found in those results was um, that's really interesting. is like in the year before the pandemic, usually during the holidays, people masturbate a lot more. Like the holidays is kind of a peak season for a lot of people masturbating. Interesting. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's like the holidays or you know being in I don't know love or maybe like stress of being around family stress that could be too (laughs) like there's so many different factors and so like that's a really common one we've seen but exactly the peak of the pandemic the following year was like during the holidays is actually we saw a a statistically significant drop in like I think it was like one of the peak months where 37 percent is like drop in usage and so we from that we were like oh you know there's a lot of things going on like there's a lot, lot less people masturbating like and so we actually sent out a post survey being like hey like what are some things like how are you feeling and one of the big things is like I am so like 
the pandemic is like an unexpected thing for everyone. Like there's added stress. I'm stressed about being stuck with family. Mm-hmm. I'm stressed about not being able to see family. So there was just a lot of different narratives that came out, which is really cool for us to like have data proof and then being able to send it out to media and being like, hey, like cover this too, because like yeah. it actually helps normalize just everyone's experiences during these times. So um, the pandemic is really interesting. I think there's definitely been ups and downs of people being super sexually active and then not active but I, I would say like peak pandemic was like definitely a rough time at least mm. from the data that we've seen which is really mm. cool for us to be able to even do yeah yeah so I guess it's if you're out there and you've been having less sex don't feel like there's something wrong with yeah. you <laughs> yeah yeah it's normal under under times of stress to kind of have that decrease yeah, yeah. definitely I should be more I should be probably like more friendly like because I think people are like oh so you're just like masturbating all the time and I was like dude I go through like stress yeah. periods yeah. I'm like I'm not like oh I'm so in the the mood and sometimes it feels like work like it's just like yeah, all sorts yeah. of things oh. that happen so yeah <laughs> so you have collected all this information from women we know within the u.s but we're wondering are you guys also selling internationally mm. so we just expanded um to japan and singapore and oh. then recently to india uh so that's been really cool to kind of see the ex- like we're slowly expanding um and i think for me asia is a very like special thing that i really want to see growth in yeah. um in weird ways, like a lot of like a lot of the Asian countries have been highly more receptive than the U.S. I I always have to remind people like U.S. is a lot more conservative than I think what most people think. And like as a fun fact, like Arkansas sex toys selling sex toys there is still illegal, and it's the only state that still has that law. Wow! And they've tried to actually repeal it multiple times, and it's never like it, it went to Supreme Court, and then they denied it at Supreme Court to even see the case. So like. I think we just forget that, like, you know, everyone's like, oh, U.S., everyone's, like, so open about sex and stuff. And I'm always like, ah, it's like a little bit of back and forth. Yeah. (laughs) So in in Asia, have you collected any data? Do you see any trends Mm. with how, like, share with us kind of your knowledge of what sex culture for women particularly is like in Asia? Oh, that's a good question. So I would still say, um, like, that's something we're still studying, too. And I think for us, uh, like, for us especially, like, I don't want to come into Asia being, like, here's this American company, like, Mm. here's, like, what everybody needs. So I think that's been something that I wanted to be really careful of and, like, mindful. Um, But, like, in Japan, there's been really, like, positive reception. This idea of, like, femtech has been, like, a really big thing and, like, the wave of, like, the feminist movements and things like that. So I think that we're seeing that in Korea as well. Um, There's still, of course, the taboo of, like, oh, like, you know, is it, if I have a partner, should I get it? Like, all these Mm. things. But so I think with that said, one of the, biggest things that we wanted to do and what we just launched in Singapore is um, doing research studies that are just like the pulse of the nation of like the mindset the cultural sexual behavior and mindset of you know for example people in Singapore and like so we actually launched a study with a couple of other companies that are in femtech in Singapore and then a researcher who's actually helping us do that study so for us it's more like here's just kind of like the state of where everything is Um, And just helping gather that information, I think, has been really cool for us to do and like hoping to continue doing it to every country, also within the U.S. and just like all of this to kind of just get a pulse of like how everyone feels lately about sex and how they sexual behaviors and comfort levels and all of that. But that's a study that's still going. Um, But yeah, like overall, I think we're definitely seeing the shift of like people are feeling more comfortable with like maybe owning a sex toy Mm. and like maybe trying it out and stuff like that but of course like limitations of like um we don't want to enter like go into like really religious countries who Mm. don't allow them being like no like we need you like i think we're all trying to figure out ways to really 
do it in a way that feels right. Yeah. I love how intentional you are and being like considerate of the, the country's culture because I think everyone navigates it very differently. Yeah. I think that's really considerate of your company. Um, my question to wrap up this sec- this really fun segment, in my <laughs> opinion, is like, what are some of your favorite current trends in female sexual health? Ooh, honestly, I think the biggest one I have to say is just that. So, for example, the term sex tech didn't actually exist when we first started our company. Like, it wasn't a category. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, so you're in the porn industry, which is mm-hmm. a really awesome industry. Like, some of the most amazing people I've ever met. But then we were like, but you know, like it's sex tech, like we're doing high tech stuff. Like it was just like all over the place. Um, so the fact that the term sex tech exists and femtech is a big, even the femtech industry as a whole is like a big thing that investors, like everyone has their eyes on to see like how it moves. So I think the coolest thing we've seen so far is just the amount of cool companies coming out that just represent different bodies, different experiences, lives, like different, just like, yeah, like that there's a product that really caters to any kind Mm. of thing. And it has to do a lot with like who the founders are because they are like coming from either that space or see that gap. So I think it's really cool to see that because I will say it's like historically sex toy industry has been like predominantly cis hetero white males, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes crazy for me to think of like why are these the people that are like designing our yeah. sex toys and sex yeah. products like it's kind of a weird thing to me um and using the nose test <laughs> yes the stupid nose test that still i see it from time to time today and i'm always like oh my god like, um so yeah so i think seeing that shift and seeing just so many like people wanting to come up in this space and like for me seeing like the young adults like college students who will like message me being like hey, I want to be in the sex tech space. I have this idea, like, how do I get started? Like, that's amazing to me that a young adult, even it has that mindset of, like, wanting to enter the space because, like, I can't imagine when I was, like, 18 that I was, like, Mm. I'm going to work in sex tech. Like, that's so awesome. Like, I would have been horrified of, like, so scared of, like, what that would mean, what that would mean for a reputation, resume, like, all of these Mm. things. So Mm. I think it's really cool. I I think I always, like, I feel like we're in good hands, like, as Mm. we move towards the future. Thank you for sharing with us all of your knowledge of of the female sexual health that you learned from Lioness. Um, We want to ask you a bit more about kind of being an entrepreneur now. Mm -hmm. So you shared with us that, you know, you, because of your upbringing and the way that maybe our culture is, you were like working to get this engineering job and then you landed at Amazon um, and you were kind of like, this is what I should have achieved, right? And then you left that and then you went and kind of, you know, started working with Alliance when you guys were just a startup. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us um, in more detail what that decision was like for you? And after the first year, did you ever have moments of like, you know, hesitation or regret? Uh, I've had that for since like la- until up to last year, probably. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like, yeah. um, like I think the romanticization of startup culture and like entrepreneurship is really fascinating to me because I it's so funny I think the true testament is that if I'm on a call with like just the you know my friends or something and they're like oh how's everything like at Linus and you're like oh it's awesome like it's great like you know like you kind of go on through that but I think if you ever talk to like I'm sure like any founders and then you're like how's everything and then both of you are like (laughs) (laughs) 
like it's good like but you know it's just like lots of things are happening like you don't and I think it's such an understandable feeling yeah. of like um yeah like I think for me the biggest stress was constantly that like uh, in my early 20s you're always comparing yourself to like what you're supposed to be doing like you know like people are getting married and having kids like what am I doing like you know this constant thing um and so like I think up to even just like last year I was like okay like we've been in this business like six seven years like is you know like are we doing this right is this like you know is this the right thing that we've built like all of these things um and I say I just mentioned this before the podcast is like I just turned 30 and like people were like things change when you're 30 and I truly felt like there's just this one day I was like oh my god I'm really like proud of what I've done like I was like dang like I really like we've survived as first-time entrepreneurs like you know we didn't know what we were doing when we first started and I think all of us took the jump of like okay let's just not pay ourselves for like a year and a half and then just figure out like what we're doing like we were so young and so like I think there was a t- constant, all of us kind of blindly just being like, dude, let's just try it. Like, I, I would say like there wasn't even as like hard of a thought beyond us just being like, let's just try it and see what happens. Um, and then you go into this whole like, yeah, the six years of like, okay, like, is this how we're going to like, is this where my life is going to go? Like all of these things. And I just truly like had a moment where I was just like, uh, like, I mean, I still get imposter syndrome all the time, but like, it's just like that feeling like completely melted away of just realizing like everyone's values are different in life. Mm. And I just realized like, well, this is just a value that's really important to me. And so if I'm fulfilling that value, I'm actually doing life right. And then yeah. it's just not, it just might not be how my friend or my mom probably is, doesn't see it. Like her values, like me getting married and like having all these things. And so I think I just had this moment of like, man, like I think that I'm doing okay. And so like, I feel pretty good. Um, it's a constant battle. I would never say like, I don't know if any entrepreneur I've ever met in my life is like, everything is so perfect. And like, yeah. girl, like it's all, it's a freaking hard process. Mm-hmm. So um yeah I don't, I don't know like I honestly it's just it was more of like a let's just do it like I really believe in it and I think like the biggest thing for me is like just our mission and passions really carried like our whole team if you talk to any of them like we're so passionate about this space that I think that's like the continuing thing that has like consistently mm. kept us alive yeah yeah thank you for sharing that it's I mean mm. I, I I love that it's a honest answer and I, <laughs> yeah. and I think as co-founders ourselves we're like Not yeah because yeah. yeah. you just <laughs> yeah. passed your four-year mark too yeah yeah well it's our it's our first it's our two-year full-time mark no it's been not year, even two years it's been about a year, a year and, and a half, half. yeah Ooh. and then four years it, yeah we did it part-time for about two and a half years I think and then we went full-time for about a year and a half so it's been about four years yeah, yeah. when you did that side I like I could totally resonate <laughs> This is so random, but literally my brother called me yesterday. He's younger than me. He was like, oh, I wanted – he had an interview with the startup. He's like, I really want to work for a startup. I go, why? Yeah. By the why? Because my question is for these people who want to work for startups, like, what – like, really, like, why do you want to work for a startup? Because I think they're kind of idolizing or thinking about Google or Facebook mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. things like that. I'm just like – startups actually, like, encompass a large spectrum of businesses. Like, how many people are in the, yes. in the company? And, like, what is their mission? Like, it's just, like, why do you want to work for a startup, first of all? And, two, like, I think as a co-founder, like – I feel like uh, the culture gets really glamorized Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of things that you're always thinking there's something that can always be done. Things can be better. You don't, we can't predict the future in the sense like where our business is going to go. And for me, I like to hear like your story and where you're at with your company because six years is a long time. It is a long time. (laughs) And even for us, like even though we've been doing this for four years, I feel like we've been doing this for almost like two years in my opinion because we haven't really gone full time yet. And Mm. like one question I want to ask you as a co-founder is, 
I mean, how do you keep going after six years? Do you feel stagnant sometimes in like your current state of the company or like how do you keep like progressing forward? Oh, um, I think for us and I think for me, I, there, there's definitely points where you're like sitting at your office and you're like, is this, should I be doing more? Like, what yeah. am I, what am I doing? Um, I think honestly, like, and this is a really newfound, so I don't know if this is like jumbled thoughts in my head yet, but I, I realized like with this whole melting of like this, you know, how are other companies going to look at us? How are other founders going to look at us? What we're doing? I really, all of that really melted. And we, I think the biggest thing is like, we were so scared and we were trying so hard to make it what a quote unquote proper company was, or like Mm. a proper Silicon Valley company, what that Mm -hmm. meant, like you know, all these strategies, like how we build. And I think like a lot of times we didn't do the fun projects because we were like, it doesn't really go with like, oh, should we be spending time on this? Like whatever. And so, but the fun thing, the sad thing is like, I think our team is incredibly funny and just really creative people. I I really feel like my, my two co-founders, I love them to death. And I think it's so funny because they're, they're just such creative friends. Liz is like such a creative brain of just wanting to do the silliest things in the most creative way possible and I think we were so scared of like oh but you know like because we're in sex tech we have to be even extra more professional or like Mm -hmm. whatever like all these things and then I think one day we were just like I we were like dude we should just have the fun that we've always wanted to like what else could we possibly prove ourselves like we built a hardware company which is very not a sexy space to be in we built it in sex tech which is not sexy it's you know two women founders also had a lot of problems back then of like being scared of women founders Mm -hmm. we're first-time founders like all these crazy things and then i was like if this is not proof enough that we've done a good job like i you know i cannot imagine what else we have to possibly do so I think we started having more fun with just the things that we like the projects we've taken on the collaborations like we just started like let's have fun with what we built and so that's really kept us like having a lot more fun of just like doing the stuff that makes us happy like Liz has like such a creative background and um, so just being able to really lean into those things like we have some cool things we're launching um, for the holidays like and it all just came out of us being like dude we should just have fun with this Mm. so that and I always have to like emphasize like your team super super matters like I cannot I cannot even think of the number of companies I've seen implode and it was just like it's not even that they had a bad idea it's like it's hard being co-founders right like it's a lot of relationship building you're almost yeah I see them probably more than like some of my friends a lot of times and like and then you're like at dinner together and then you can't help but being like okay so that meeting tomorrow right like you're like don't talk about that like and so it's a lot of like relationships and boundaries and understanding like just growing together and so um I'm super grateful that like our team has been pretty much almost the same people like this entire time and like just incredibly like passionate mission-driven people and so I think for us like the fact that we've built such a strong close team has like been a really like Mm. that's probably what's kept us like kept going is like I think we all like like as co-founders we talk all the time is like if one person's feeling really like I'm so burnt right now like the other two are no to carry and we've really built that like um trust in each other so I you know sometimes I'll be like dude I my brain's about to explode I'm like doing too many things right now and then they immediately are like, okay, let's have a meeting. Like, okay, how can we offload things off you? Like, Mm -hmm. it's really cool to just have a good support system. And like, who's going to ever know your struggles more than the people building with you, right? Like, I can tell my brother, like, you know, like significant others, like whatever. And then it's it's not the same because they don't really know. And so um, that's, I think, been like super, super important. 
Oh, thank you for sharing. I feel heard and seen. I know. Just from that conversation. I know, right? <laughs> Mel and I keep looking at each other like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it truly is. It's such a sacred relationship that you have. And I didn't think about that with Linus. You have three co-founders and we have three that. Yeah. There is something about the synergy of three, three. being a good number. It is. I think mm-hmm. for, to your point, like when one is burnt out or the, you know, it's like a good balance. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice balance of like, you're getting two sanity checks versus like, you yes. know, you can go into an echo chamber between one-on-one. Just be yes. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. You That's know, true. so it's been really cool. Yeah. Three is nice. It is. Three is a good number. Wow. I think I also realized for the first time, this is the first time on the podcast we had a co-founder that came from three. We oh. only bring on, usually they're like a solo co-founder. Yeah. I don't know how true. solo co-founders do it. Or founders. 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 A founder. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also say co-founder. <laughs> I always say co-founder. Wow. No, this is, no, I feel like I really resonate with what you just said. We, we know you came from Amazon. You came from a corporate background. During your time at Amazon, what do you think helped you in your work now as a lioness co-founder? Mm. Honestly, like I, because I talk about a lot that I was like at Amazon, I left and I actually am so incredibly grateful for that experience. So I honestly, like, I think the question I get is like, should I go to corporate first, then startup or start a startup and like whatever. And I don't actually know what the answer is. All I know is like, for me, I was really grateful that I had that opportunity first. I one had a really awesome team. Um, and we worked on like concept, pro- the idea was like our team worked like almost a small startup within Amazon because we were working on projects like three to five years out. We built, we built prototypes because we had all disciplines of engineers on our team. And then we would build that product, take it to Seattle to headquarters and show it to the exec team to try to get greenlit as a project. So one in itself like that really taught me like working almost like a startup. Uh, a lot of the people on my team actually came from startup worlds like, mm-hmm. and they like, you know, like mm-hmm. older now and they're like, yeah, you should definitely do it. So they're super encouraging. So for me, like what I really learned is like working across disciplines a lot of like, uh, like, yeah, like talking to a battery engineer and then talking to an antenna like person, like all of these things really helped understand how a company should run or like what a functioning company mm-hmm. kind of builds on. So actually, like, a lot of things I, when I first started Linus, we actually brought on of, like, um, doing, like, kind of, like, principles, like, what are principles that run our company? Um, From my co-founder, James, he brought this idea of, like, having everyone's, like, personality, like, we have, like, a little portfolio, and everyone writes, like, if I'm, if I need, if there's a conflict, this is how I like to be confronted. Like, everyone Mm kind of writes, like, things I like, things that bother me, like, because it just helps kind of get an idea of when there is a conflict, like how, what's the best way to resolve it with that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I put fun things like Zodiac. I made, I made them put like Zodiac and stuff in there because personally yes, for me, I love it. it. <laughs> I'm like, these are how these two Zodiac signs interact. Because all three of us, uh, all the co-founders are Geminis, which... Oh, <laughs> interesting. My, yeah. <laughs> my, my, um, some of our colleagues are always like, God, that's so scary. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? Gemini's a great. <laughs> like, um, so a lot of that. And then, um, yeah, so overall, like doing kind of those like personality things, like I think we adopted a lot of stuff we learned from our old companies mm-hmm. um, because it just helps like kind of put a baseline of like what we should do. Yeah. And I think like when I left, like everyone was so encouraging. Like a lot of the people that I met there actually like helped when I first started being like, oh, hey, like I'm having this, like I, I don't know how to like build this button because it's like mm-hmm. not working sometimes. And then like uh, one of the mechanical engineers was like helping me look at it and everything. So I think like I'm really grateful for that opportunity to have like just have an immediate network of people that were mm-hmm. so willing to like help and support. 
And a lot of them purchased when we did our like crowdfunding Indiegogo campaign, which is also very nice. So yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. I can relate to that too because I think it seems like what you moving from Amazon to Linus is kind of similar, I guess, lines of work. Even, even though it's different industries, like I can relate because when I moved over to ABG, like all my friends, all my coworkers from like my studio job or my media job, like really were like supportive and like helped us with stuff. Like, hey, I need a photographer for this like merch shoot or whatever. I could, I could call up someone I knew. So yeah. it's nice to have a supportive team. I feel like corporate experience is so like, I think just set our foundation for ABG too. Yeah. So mm. I can see how inc- um, incredible it is to have that type of background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe Amazon will sponsor us now. Yeah. Be like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> they talk so much good about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're wondering, um, you know, you are a female engineer and you work in the sex tech space. <laughs> that is like so many, so many layers of, of uh, uniqueness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the most rewarding part mm. to you about being an Asian American female co-founder and entrepreneur in the tech space? Yeah. The tech, sex, or the sex tech space. Yes. <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> um, honestly, for me, I, and I think this is the advice I love to give like the young like younger like college students when they ask is like there's gonna be like if you say like I'm gonna be a really good engineer there's gonna be so many engineers that like cannot like it's really hard to compete in that space of like Mm -hmm. just being a really good engineer I mean personally I did terrible in college so I'm not sure I even qualify (laughs) but I always say like what makes it really special is like your intersections of all the different Mm -hmm. life experiences just things that you've done and like for me like being a woman founder, you know, that's Asian American, like I really felt like I brought all those things like experiences and like my me as a person into the company. And it, I think it helps resonate to a lot of people of like what we've built because Mm -hmm. people are like, I understand this, like I feel seen or like heard in the way that you have built this or the way that you talk about it. So I think to me, it just makes me feel really grateful that I, I don't know, like, I guess I never meant to be like an Asian American, like woman founder engineer in a sex tech space. But the fact that I get to do it, and then just talk about my own experiences. And if that makes people feel more like either like super encouraged to enter the space, because please enter this space, we need more people in this. And like, we need more representation, honestly, like um, that. And then also just like, yeah, just feeling seen. Because I remember, like, when I was a kid, like, I never, like, when do you ever see people that look like you? And especially in feeling sexual or, like, having sexual experiences. And so I think it's really fun to be, like, here to just do things that I feel like make sense for the my own experiences and then hopefully resonates to other people, which has been really, really, like, awesome. And I think that's what I always tell people, like, I think that's what makes me a good engineer. It's really not my my ability to do an integral at this point because I don't I don't know (laughs) but it's really just like understanding like like what products I would want to see and like how I want it to be represented and the fact that I can build it I think that's the superpower um so yeah like I just feel really like grateful now I think especially in the Asian American space we're kind of opening up to talking about this stuff more and more which is so cool to see and just seeing that um, yeah, just seeing that like wave all come together, I think it's really like been a cool journey, I think overall, because yeah. I would have never expected this. And I think uh, I'm sure my mom is like, because she's always told me like, do not do a Korean interview ever, because then it's like, you know, it's so interconnected to her friends and everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that it's even a possibility now, I'm like, oh, like it might happen, like, sorry in advance. Yeah. But- <laughs> 
do that would be so cool yeah well I, lo- I love that you you highlighted like your perspective and just innately who you are as a person being a big um, yeah. rewarding aspect instead of the technical skills because I will also say as someone who career transitioned and then ended up in tech a lot of what uh, for UX design, they say what pushes your 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 skill set is yes, there's like a baseline technical, but a lot of it is your perspective. When you're creating products for a consumer, yeah. being a woman, being Asian means that you mm. you are going to see things that other people are not going to see. Definitely you know, for serving the consumer and the user. So I like that you're emphasizing that for our listeners out there. Like you know, we're always told to do well in school, and the technical matters, but like understand that your identity as you know is is a huge role in the asset that you bring out into the world yes especially in tech because there's also a glorification of engineering which i'm like very like dude like that doesn't make you a good leader like you have to learn all the soft skills all the writing skills all the humanities like and we just don't glor like we don't highlight it enough and i'm like that's gonna make you the best engineer like Mm. you're yeah all technical skills are could always be learned and like all of that but um I also say that because I was a terrible student. But <laughs> and I think you gave really good takeaway points for anyone who's young who wants to enter the space, or also engineers who are about into the industry. You know, um, to wrap this up, to wrap this episode up, you know, what's next for Lioness, and how can our listeners support you? Ooh, so um, we're constantly just working on one new features to constantly roll out within Lioness. Um, and we're just trying to get just more information out there. We're doing a lot more research platform stuff where we're partnering with researchers to just get more studies out there, which is really, really fun. Um, and we can always keep up with, and we're launching the really cool merch pretty soon, which I'm very excited about. It's so like, uh, just a fun thing for us, but I'm like super pumped about it. Um, so if you follow us on our, all our social media, which is Linus Health, our website is linus.io. Um, and then my personal Instagram is Anna is average and TikTok is Anna the average. I will merge it at some point. I don't know why I decided to do two separate ones. It's horrible, but, um, two separate handle names or two. Yeah. Cause the Instagram is Anna is average. And then the oh. TikTok is Anna the average. And it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a mess, but now I've, I've, this is what I've said over and over. So I feel like now I can't change it, but, um, I just try to post like uh, things I've learned about sex or just my own data, my own mm-hmm. things that I've learned. Um, if you ever just want to like learn random things, I try to keep it really entertaining and educational. So <laughs> are there, are there accounts that you follow like that are like sex positive or just, um, in terms of more information? That Ooh, really there's a lot. There's actually so many, um, oh, I'm going to forget all their handles at this very moment. It's okay. If not off the top of your head, yeah, if you okay, can send okay. them to us, I think that we'd mm-hmm. love to share Yes, that definitely. Well, definitely. Well, there's a lot. This is real hot, good ones. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for being on our podcast, sharing with us your background, your story, the uniqueness of who you are, and the work that you're doing in the sex positive space, along with Lioness. Um, to our listeners, please check them out. We definitely encourage more people to be more comfortable with their bodies, especially women, especially Asian women. Um, thanks again, Anna. Thank you for having me. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonate with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. If you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called GRBG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is asianbossgirl.
And we have a couple of shout-outs from our listeners today. From Erica to Corinna in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, I am so proud of you for everything you've achieved this past year, and in particular, running your first half marathon. I will always be cheering you on. From Jeffrey to Tram in Philadelphia, thank you for making me the happiest I've ever been. I love you, boo-boo head. Aw, that's cute. From Josh to Annie in Austin, Texas, she just makes me laugh and the world deserves to know. Guess the world does deserve to know. From Valentina to Kathy and Rosemead, super strong and also always reminding me to take time for myself, she helps me reflect and has purposeful intentions. From Val to Christine and Rosemead, my sister is an amazing hardworking role model that never stops. She's constantly moving and motivates me to be independent and not scared of going to the gym in the dark and night. Val also has a couple of other sisters. She says, I have four sisters, so I have a lot to say. Uh, To Anne, Anne is so creative and comfortable in her stances. I hope to be the same. And her other sister, Michelle, is always up for anything, and she appreciates your inclusivity. From Jin Lin to Eileen in Taiwan, I am so proud of everything you have accomplished in Paris. I cannot wait to be reunited with you and the family soon. From Leo to Danny in Seattle, everyone close to her, including myself, is lucky to have her warmth and kindness. She deserves the biggest shout-out during this cuffing season for all the people that she has brought together as a matchmaker. From Brian to Jasmine in Mobile, Alabama, Happy birthday, Jasmine. I love you very much, and you are very much my Asian boss girl. I'm so glad to be a part of your life, and I look forward to our continued adventures heading into the future. And last, but definitely not least, from Esther to Jane in Baltimore. Happy birthday, Jane. You have the most special heart, and I'm so happy that we are soul sisters. Can't wait for our next travel adventure. If you'd like to send a few words of encouragement or a shout-out to a friend, check out the link in the show description or our link tree and our link in bio on Instagram and click on shout-outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And we'll catch you all on the next episode. Bye! Bye.